You're listening to Drishti Point. I'm Farhan Azrali, and I'm here with Devra Laval, who is the author of two books, one of which is called Magic Doorway into the Divine, which was a bestseller on Amazon. And her newest book is Leap to Freedom. And it's a book that explores the illusion of what keeps us separate from the divine. And it's all about guilt. Welcome, Devra. Thank you. Thank you, Farah. It's lovely to be with you. Now, in the book, you describe a profound dream you had, an experience that really changed your perception of yourself and reality. And I'm wondering if you can give us a description of that dream and the experience. Well, I've had a number of experiences of that nature. Um, The dream that I had in my book, Leap to Freedom, I actually touch on in the magic doorway, but it was something I wanted to expand on and continue, and I took that into Leap to Freedom. Now, the dream was about a guilt, and it was that I had actually killed a friend in, in a dream, and after this experience, I, I time dissolved, and there I was in my apartment, feeling like I was still back in the dream, and I couldn't put it all together because the time had dissolved. And then as time went on, while I sat in my apartment, I was taken up to these higher realms where I was made to look at this reality um, that we call uh, our life. And I was made to see that it is an illusion and that we're actually not guilty as we think, but we're absolutely loved by the divine more than we could ever know. And that changed my life in that I then, from that moment on, along with many other experiences that I had, because I've pretty much devoted my whole life to enlightenment from the time I was in my 20s to, I won't even tell you how old I am now. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time. And so, of course, there's been a lot of experiences that have pointed to the fact that we're one with our source, absolutely loved and guiltless. And that's the bottom line, and, and that's it's quite a long dream in the book, but that's the bottom line, is that we're guiltless, absolutely loved, and one with, with our source, and of course, everyone that we see. And this is the, the experience that's described in so many different spiritual paths and religions. Yes, that's right. It's the experience of, well, it's, it's the experience of, I am, I am, well, God, it sometimes starts with, but even that dissolves because it's anything that's in language is still within the illusion. So you discover that I am God, and then you discover that I am, I am. I, and then even the I am goes, and you're just one with everything. And so, yes, it's what it's what all the masters talk about. It's uh, it's what most of the spiritual practices. Um, focus towards, and uh, I was fortunate, but you know, I spent you know, I spent a lot of years in that direction. So I was, I was very, very um, grateful for having had those experiences. Mm-hmm. The best way I could. Yeah. 
Now, you mentioned that after that experience, your relationships took on a different quality. And I'll quote from the book, I stopped looking at other people's shortcomings, limitations, and perceived sins. And I could actually see the great love and perfection that lay beneath their exterior personality and ego. For for people who haven't had this experience, this realization of our true nature, is one way to actually practice seeing the divine in each person and seeing beyond limitations? Yes. Um, one of the uh, saints that I, I've, uh, I came across over the years, he said, uh, when someone comes before you, just say, thank you, God, for coming to me in this form. It's kind of a, a nice practice to use to remind ourselves that this person that we see over there is not separate from us. They are actually one with us. And that's the illusion. We have the illusion that they're over there and they're separate and they're, you know, and so there's a, a subtle judgment that happens or maybe not so subtle over with this other person. And if we can look into their eyes and see the oneness, see thank you, God, for coming to me in this form, or if you don't like the word God, thank you, divine, thank you, whatever works in that way, for coming to me in this form. It's spirit, it's love, it's, it's all of that. And, um, and to be able to look beyond, it's a real, a real practice to look deep into the eyes of another and see the God that lives there or see the God that lives in the dogs and the, you know, the cats and just about everything in this world. There's that divine vibration that we all, that we all have because we're all one substance. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about, uh, specifically in the book you elaborate guilt and quite in a detailed way you mentioned three kinds of guilt. Um psychological, metaphysical, and and the other one I forget. Um, but can you talk about the three different kinds of guilt and how they block our ability to see everyone in our reality as, as divine? Well, the first type of guilt I'll talk about is the psychological guilt, which is something that people are familiar with in that um, they know when they're just feeling guilty about having done an action that wasn't the greatest and and they're feeling guilty about it and trying to sort it through and you know it's a very clear situation where they know they did something that they think they shouldn't have done or they didn't do something that they think they should have done and that guilt is something we're all familiar with and then there's the existential guilt and the existential is more the kind of guilt where we're of longing for something we don't know about. We're not really sure what this thing is, but we're feeling this kind of like low-grade guilt and we're projecting it onto all kinds of things in order to make ourselves feel more guilty. It's, it's a strange kind of guilt. But these two guilts are actually a symptom of the third guilt, and that's what this whole book's about, which I call quantum guilt. And quantum guilt is the belief 
that we've actually separated from the very source of our being. And like Buddha says, he has a, uh, he said some great things about this, but here's one particular quote. Buddha says that in his Anatnavada doctrine, the misbelief that we are separate from one another and from the very fabric of the universe is what causes us to suffer. So our guilt, shame, and our tendency to mistrust and attack all stem from this belief. And this belief in separation goes hand in hand with guilt. So it's a different perspective, this guilt. It's not about the day-to-day sorts of things where we're tough on ourselves or tough on others. It's the guilt that actually creates war. That's what quantum guilt is, and that's why I felt it was so important to write about. And I was kind of commanded to write about it. (laughs) And so as I looked at it, I realized that, you know, it's not the kind of guilt that um, we think it is. As I mentioned, it's something much deeper. It's unconscious. So the fact that it's unconscious, it we don't really know we're, we're guilty. In fact, we may not even feel guilt. We may feel angry. We may feel unworthy. We may feel, um, well, yeah, I mean, the whole country may be feeling this unconscious guilt and create, create a war. So what happens is that we have this deep guilt, and the guilt is because we separate it from our oneness. Our oneness is our right place, our natural place, and this guilt comes out of the belief that we're separate from that. So there's this horrible feeling that comes with that, and this horrible guilt that we've done something terribly wrong. And what we've done, or what we think we've done, which we haven't, is we think we've separated. And so no one's really at peace when they believe that. They can't be at peace. It's only, the only cure to this unconscious quantum guilt is to be able to look into the eyes of another, be able to look at our world and see the oneness in it. That's the cure. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned that one of the ways that we um, act on that unconscious guilt is that when uncomfortable or unpleasant feelings arise, we project them rather than taking responsibility for recognizing that is what keeps us separate and suffering. That's right, because part of it is, the reason that we project it is because we feel so uncomfortable in our skin when we're we're starting to feel this. Instead of going back inside and going, okay, what's going on? What, What am I feeling? Why am I so uncomfortable? We want to get rid of it. So the first person that comes along that we're not, you know, thrilled with, we project that onto them. We might get angry with them. I mean, it could be a cashier at a store. It could be our partner. It could be, um, well, just about anyone. And and that's just what the unconscious guilt does because here's this other being over there that is you because oneness is about... I am you. Anyone that's experienced any form of uh, that level of awareness understands I am you. You are me. So when you look over there and you don't see I am you, you are me, 
well, you know, if this person's an irritant, <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you just want to get rid of them somehow. I mean, whether it's get get them out of your, you know, space or or in in most extreme cases, as we know, well, some of the the you know catastrophes or the the horrors that happen in our world is that's why it happens. It's not because you see it's a different situation. Sin and guilt have a different relationship. To, to our normal way of thinking, in this quantum guilt comes from a different place. The quantum guilt is that we believe we've separated, and so we project onto others, and we project, you know, horrible feelings and thoughts and everything else. But the sins, then, if you want to call them sins, come from the guilt, not the other way around. Because we've always thought that sin. Um, happened and then we felt guilt but no it's the other way around the guilt comes first the sin comes later or because that's when we start projecting onto others and start being angry and doing actions that are you know not not appropriate Mm -hmm. and and that all stems from this quantum unconscious guilt Mm -hmm. so it's it's like the world is upside down at that level it's Mm -hmm. not what we've always thought Mm-hmm. And you make a beautiful quote, I think, from the Course in Miracles about uh, nothing that is real can be destroyed, and uh, nothing that is not real is lasting, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's the Course in Miracles. Uh, that's a beautiful quote because it's nothing that is nothing real can be threatened, and nothing unreal exists. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And herein lies the peace of God. So that's where our our peace comes from when we recognize nothing real can be threatened. Um, nothing unreal exists. And we're back to the illusion again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the only peace will come, the only way peace will come is when we recognize this to be an illusion. Now, you speak also about ego-based love and and real love can you elaborate on that for the listeners uh well ego-based love is usually when we're trying to get something from somebody Mm -hmm. uh, or be seen in a particular way or um it it always everyone knows what that's like because there's always an edge to it there's always a feeling to it there's a need along with it there's uh, you do it you scratch my back I'll scratch yours sort of thing or there's always a condition to ego based love mm-hmm. whereas to divine love it just is it's something that that we already are it's not something there's nothing we have to do to get that love it's something that we already are and that's the difference whereas in the ego based love if we don't do something right, we're afraid we'll lose love. Whereas in the other type of love, we can't lose love because that's all we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, it's an upside-down perspective. And it's probably our our desire for the experience of that love that uh, causes so much consumption in our society, consumption of the things that don't really bring us real love. 
Absolutely, and that's where all our addictions come from. Pretty much everything comes, again, it's back to the unconscious guilt, where everything comes from the fact that we believe we've, we've separated and therefore we don't have love. So we have to do whatever we possibly can to get that love. Mm-hmm. And that accounts for, you know, just about every every addiction and every uh, everything like that in our world, really. Now, one of the stories that I was very touched by when you brought it up, I had never thought of this story in this way, is you talk about in Buddhism how when a, a lama incarnates, reincarnates, I should say, and the uh, previous teachers go in search of that partic- of the child who is said to be a reincarnation of a great lama. And from the moment that they that child is taken into their care, they treat that child like a divine being and how beautiful it would be if we could raise our children with that. Yes, I think, yeah. Well, it, it came to me. I mean, it just I just thought, well, yeah, wait a minute. They look for this child, and then, of course, they train this child to think and, and be and see in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And, yes, the seeds of the, the great being are in the child, but the child still has to, you know, because he's a child, they still have to be trained, cared for, and... Um, guided in particular ways but in our society we don't we we miss that whole point i mean there's no curriculum in the schools at all that begin to teach that that teach children about their true nature and what each other is and it could be the most simple thing possible we could teach children that they are you know one with their source and so is everyone else and teach them how to see the divine in each other. Mm-hmm. We would live in such a different world if that were the case. We would, well, we'd start right from scratch. And as it is right now, people start searching for themselves when they're 40 in some cases. <laughs> so by then, you've gone, you know, you've mastered that in so many ways. I won't say that. It's all divine. It's all perfect. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, just think of the, how much time would be saved if children could start to, yeah, just be, be treated as if they were a llama. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Now, earlier on in the interview, you mentioned that you were commanded to write this book. Um, can you tell us about that and also about what your highest hopes for how this book will be received by people? Okay, so when I was... Uh, I didn't really want to write about guilt. (laughs) It was something I thought, no, 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 I I don't want to touch that. But I was sitting on my living room floor one day, and I got this really strong command that says, you must write, start writing about this guilt. And I did. I started a little bit, but then I put it away, and I just thought, no, I don't really want to do that. It's just too much. It's too deep a topic. I had a lot of resistance to it, in other words. Mm-hmm. And, and then I moved to apartments. Uh, I, I sort of stuffed this little proposal away, which I didn't send, and I moved um, from one apartment to the other. And then I found this proposal again, and I thought, well, 
I don't know. It's just kicking around. I might as well send it off to a publisher. And if they don't accept, I'll send it to one publisher. If they don't accept it immediately, I'm not writing the book. (laughs) (laughs) I I have made my deal. (laughs) So I sent it off to uh, a publisher, and uh, a very good publisher, in fact. And um, on a Sunday night, I, I emailed it to them, and I got a reply on Monday morning that, you know, yes, they wanted to publish it. So I knew that was a sign. So I, I you know, once I get the sign, once I, <laughs> I had no choice. I just thought, all right. But in this, in this uh, uh, process, I, I experienced this really deep guilt that I didn't even understand to that degree until I started researching it. And, and then I discovered that the scientists are even backing this up. And uh, it, became, uh, it became such an amazing process for me because I could see how science and spirituality all weaved together in this process. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit about that, um, what you found in science that supports what you're writing about in terms of guilt and our separation from the divine? Well, what I discovered is it from the scientists, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I discovered from the scientists uh, is that they are basically saying that we never did it in the first place. We are not, well, the Buddhism says we're not the doers of action. Ramana Maharshi says the force that brought you here knows every action the body needs to take and will see to it that it takes those actions. But science, on the other hand, says something very similar. Uh, Scientist David Hume and brain surgeon Benjamin Libet and others say that it takes a split second for the brain to react and for the mind-ego to take possession of the thought and claim, it is my thought. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and so basically... It, uh, Ramesh Balsakar, who's an East Indian guru, who quoted that um, from these scientists, say, say then says then that there can be no free will. So these scientists are quite. Uh, I mean, I've studied a lot of them. They, uh, David Bohm says you are all made of the same substance. There's nothing but that. So in that, then everything else dissolves, all including your guilt and sin and everything else. Because it's, in a sense, we're like the ocean, and we're going in one direction, and the drop just follows us to where, wherever the ocean's destined to go. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of dropping that sense of I, which creates the separation and suffering. Well, exactly. And this then eliminates the I did it belief. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. We did it. We separated from source, and so therefore we are guilty. So ba- basically, it's a bit of an ego trip, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To think we separated, <laughs> <laughs> when in fact we haven't at all. You know, but it's our ego trip. So if we could see it as, oh, I'm in my ego trip. <laughs> Maybe I can just relax here and just let the spirit move into me and and let me re do or reclaim the love that I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And coming back to the question of what what are your own hopes for this book and um, how how it will be received in the world? Well, I was very excited before I put it out because I um, I just felt deep in my heart and soul that if people do read this with all of their soul and heart, that they will definitely be transformed. They will definitely see things in a whole different light. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will begin to have more self-love, more love for others, more love for their world. And they will be able to rest and relax more. I mean, the people that have read it, the bit of feedback that I've had, um, people have been saying that they've had deep aha moments and that verified for them that there's nothing in this world more important than knowing who they really are. So in a sense, they've had these awakenings. And another thing that happens to people is their meditations get better because they, when they sit for meditation, they recognize that, oh, I don't have to sit here fighting with my mind and beating myself up or having a lousy meditation. Mm-hmm. I can just sit here and just be the love that I am. And in that way, we become far more receptive. We actually are receptive to, 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 our love, to the love that we are. And that's a, a big thing for people who are in yoga and wanting, wanting their meditations to improve. And the other thing is, when guilt disappears, enlightenment dawns. That's, that's the great thing, is that when guilt disappears, all you're left with is this open being, this open heart. And then enlightenment dawns. And what is enlightenment? Just knowing that you are that, you are that light, you are that love, and you're one with source. Beautiful. It's um, so wonderful. I'm so glad that we were able to make time to do this interview and to share with our listeners the, the insights and the love that you bring through your words and through this book. And will you be doing a book tour across the province or in the country? or? Well, I've been doing um, a lot of shows, and I've been doing... I've got a book talk coming up, book talk and signing at Banyan Books um, on Tuesday, December 3rd at 6.30. And um, that's happening, um, well, it's just a week and a half away. So I'd like to invite anyone that's um, listening to come and, and meet me. And um, it would be nice to meet you and experience this leap to freedom together. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time, Deborah. It's been so wonderful. And uh, I wish you all the best with this book. I hope that our paths cross again. Thank you. And I should let you know that uh, if anyone wants, any any of your people want to uh, tap into my electronic version of my mystic card, inspiration cards, they're free. And uh, it's just... uh, you just contact me at info at deverlavelle.com and I'll give you the cards. Perfect. Thank you. What a beautiful offer for our listeners. Thank you, Sarah.